spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This week on Viewpoints. The only snowplows were people driving around in pickup trucks with wide tires. That was about it. Understanding the winter storm in Texas last month and what went wrong then. This constant checking is the real villain if we want to look at productivity, especially in the early 21st century, is because to check this inbox all the time requires you to shift your context. How many times a day do you pull away from what you're doing to check your email? I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. I am one of thousands of women with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC. Which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body. I am living in the moment and taking Ibrantz, Palcocyclib. Ibrantz 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for postmenopausal women or for men with HR-positive, HER2-negative MBC as the first hormonal-based therapy. Be in your moment. Ask your doctor about Ibrantz and visit Ibrantz.com. Patients taking Ibrantz can develop low white blood cell counts, which may cause serious infections that can lead to to death. Ibrantz may cause severe inflammation of the lungs that can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrantz, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are pregnant, breastfeeding, or plan to become pregnant. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Last month, a series of severe winter storms engulfed much of Texas for days on end. Freezing temperatures mixed with snow and ice wreaked havoc on utilities and emergency response systems that were built to withstand heat, not cold. As officials scrambled to fix a failing power grid, Texans took it upon themselves to check on friends, family, and neighbors. Across the state, around 4 million people had no power, 12 million had no clean or running water, and on top of it, hundreds of thousands dealt with frozen pipes bursting and flooding their homes. We were concerned about pipes freezing because if your power goes out, then you can't keep the houses warm, and so the pipes are more likely to freeze, and so you have that problem. And then didn't happen where we are, but a lot of other places had to boil water because the water was sitting in pipes longer than normal or wasn't being treated properly. But, of course, there's a bit of a challenge in boiling water without any power to start with. That's Dr. John Nielsen Gammon, a Texas state climatologist and Regents Professor of Atmospheric Sciences at Texas A&M University. Luckily, his home did not lose power during the freeze, but he says that many neighbors directly south of him dealt with rolling blackouts for days. Today, costs and fatalities associated with this storm are still being tallied, but so far, it's estimated that dozens died as a result of the extreme cold, and the cost is expected to surpass the fallout from Hurricane Harvey. 
which resulted in more than $125 billion in damage back in 2017. While hurricanes barreling in from the Gulf are simply a part of life for Texans, extreme cold and snowfall is a rarity. Nielsen Gammon says that it's been decades since the state has seen an event as bad as this. When you go back in Texas history, we've had some pretty cold weather, but we've gone about 30 years without anything being seriously cold. It didn't look on the basis of the forecast that there was going to be much in the way of cold that would actually threaten all-time cold temperature records. But we actually did manage to break a few of those as well, so it came out slightly colder than was forecasted, but it was looking bad well ahead of time. Despite forecasting models predicting dangerous winter weather, millions of residents still faced dire circumstances as they had no power to heat their homes or access to potable water. One factor that fed into this crisis is the vulnerability of the state's deregulated energy market. The Texas electrical grid is not connected to other major national grids as a backup because state officials didn't want the federal oversight that comes with a nationally linked grid. And for those that did have power during the storm, the soaring demand sent prices skyrocketing and left some people with electrical bills showing upwards of $5,000 for five days of service. So if that's going to happen, you need some consumer protections like a default circuit breaker whereby if the cost goes up more than a factor of 10, the power automatically goes off unless you specify otherwise. But those things aren't in place, and so it's uh, unfortunately a hard lesson for people and for regulators. Within this conversation, there's also been the questions about the role of climate change. Did it play any impact in increasing the likelihood of a prolonged cold front like this hitting Texas? Dr. Frederica Otto is a German climatologist and associate professor in the Global Climate Science Program at the University of Oxford in England. She's also the associate director of the Environmental Change Institute at the university. Otto says that this very rare event was caused by an unusual weather pattern. It was a what you would call a breakdown of the polar vortex, so that just very cold air from the north came pretty far into the south and so reached Texas. In her line of work, Otto studies the data behind extreme weather patterns across the world, analyzing the external drivers behind them to see what impact climate change may have played. To piece together these conclusions, she relies largely on observational data and climate models that simulate major events. Interestingly, she argues that what happened in Texas could have been worse, if not for man-made climate change. What we see all over the Northern Hemisphere, and that includes in particular North America and also Texas, is that the likelihood and intensity of cold events is decreasing. So we see fewer cold events and those cold events that we do see, they are less cold, so they are warmer than they would have been without man-made climate change. So I think it's very safe to assume that this is not something that we have to expect to happen every winter. It is a very rare event. There is research out there that suggests that warmer climates are shifting the course of the jet stream, leading to more extreme weather patterns. However, Nielsen Gammon disagrees with these claims and argues that recent trends paint a different picture. There is some research that says the jet stream becomes wavier and more erratic, 
as the Arctic warms, and that could lead to increased likelihood of cold air outbreaks at low latitudes. But that research hasn't held up too well recently. Those trends have not continued. The computer models don't simulate that effect happening so much. And if you look at historical data in Texas, the intensity of cold air outbreaks has become milder and milder over the past few decades. So even if the jet stream is becoming more wavy, it's not wavy enough to overcome the fact that the temperatures are milder to start with. Otto notes that there are many theories out there, but it's too early to make broad assumptions about how specific actions like global emissions and changes like melting Arctic ice funnel into what happened in Texas. We see that these kind of breaking down of the polar vortex does happen more often, but this is something there is at the moment very little evidence for. So it's not something that we see actually in the observations. And so what we can say is that the melting of the sea ice and so on does affect mid-latitudes. But how and if that's what happened in Texas is something we don't know. What we do know is that a winter freeze in the Lone Star State was a rare occurrence and it exposed the vulnerability of the state's fragile energy infrastructure. And this discussion continues as thousands of Texans still deal with the ramifications of what happened last month. To find out more about this topic, links to additional resources and our guests, Dr. John Nielsen Gammon and Dr. Frederica Otto, visit viewpointsradio.org. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, the average employee checks their email once every six minutes when Viewpoints returns. Two nationwide surveys find that discrimination is a significant barrier to care for people with Alzheimer's and dementia. Half or more of non-white Alzheimer's caregivers report they face discrimination in navigating health care for the recipient. Dr. Carl V. Hill is Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer of the Alzheimer's Association. The data suggests we have a long way to go to address lack of health equity in health care. More than 80% of non-white racial and ethnic groups say it's important for Alzheimer's care providers to understand their backgrounds and experiences. But fewer than half of Blacks and only about 60% of Hispanics and Asian Americans feel confident about their access to culturally competent providers. The surveys also reveal a lack of trust among Blacks in research clinical trials, and half doubt that advances in Alzheimer's treatments would be shared. These findings are part of the 2021 Alzheimer's Association Facts and Figures Report, Find out more at alz.org facts. You went online to switch your car insurance to Progressive so you could save money. But then you saw a friend request from an old summer camp buddy. And now here you are, clicking through photos of his kickball team from 2011. Oh, looks like they won the championship that year. Then he moved to Tulsa. Oh, a new tattoo. Yes, they said it was easy to save hundreds on car insurance with Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the Internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates national average savings by new customer surveyed who saved in 2019. I'm Dr. Baker, an ER physician. If you're having leg pain, swelling, or redness, but haven't talked to your doctor yet, don't wait. 
This could be deep vein thrombosis, a blood clot which could travel to your lungs and lead to a pulmonary embolism, which could cause chest pain or discomfort or difficulty breathing and be deadly. Your symptoms could mean something serious, so don't wait. Talk to a doctor right away by phone, online, or in person. Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer. Do you ever feel like you're juggling five things at once during work, but look back at the end of the day and feel like you've barely made a dent in your to-do list? If you work a nine-to-five desk job, one factor that may be contributing to this perpetually stressed state is an endless stream of new messages. In a single workday, the average professional gets about 120 emails and spends almost a third of their time reading and answering them, according to consulting firm McKinsey. With this in mind, are emails and instant messaging the way forward? Cal Newport says no. Newport is an associate professor of computer science at Georgetown University. He's also the author of the book A World Without Email, Reimagining Work in an Age of Communication Overload. While email may seem like an unavoidable way of life for many of us, Newport argues that this method of communication leads to burnout and lowers productivity across the board by pulling people away from their preset goals for the day. The main issue is that it forces us to constantly tend these conversations. It's why today, the at least in one study, the average American knowledge worker is going to check an inbox once every six minutes. It's because if you have three or four dozen ongoing asynchronous back and forth discussions happening via email, you have to keep checking that inbox because if you don't, Things are going to slow down. Things are going to get missed. People are going to have to wait for you. This constant checking is the real villain if we want to look at productivity, especially in the early 21st century, is because to check this inbox all the time requires you to shift your context. So you, let's say you're writing a memo, and then you change your attention to an inbox because you have to tend these hyperactive hive mind back-and-forth conversations. And that's going to trigger a complex and time-consuming neurochemical cascade to try to shift your attention to the context of that inbox. But what we do is we then rip our attention back to the main thing we're doing before that cascade finishes, and it all gets jumbled. And the effect is we can't think clearly, and we feel fatigued, and we feel stressed and anxious. Before email, there were few digital distractions clouding our days. People relied on scheduled in-person meetings or sending a question over fax. However, Newport says that once email was introduced into the business landscape, it spread like wildfire. Email spread very rapidly in the first half of the 1990s, and the main goal it was accomplishing was replacing fax machines, voicemails, and memos, inter-office memos. Email could implement these things much more cheaply and much faster. So it was seen as a bit of a productivity silver bullet when it came around, which is why it had such a rapid rise once that tech became available. And what you see is by 1995, this had gone from a niche product to a $500 million a year industry. So once the major office productivity players of that time, like Lotus and Microsoft, got involved in pushing out these products, it really helped it spread because there was trusted companies producing slick server software, and we were off to the races when it came to email communication. And today, it isn't just email. There's Google Chat, WhatsApp, Microsoft Teams, and newcomers like Zoom and Slack. What's Slack? 
It's an instant messaging software that allows users to set up chat rooms called channels that are organized by topics or for specific groups of people. On these many platforms, people can send an invite for a last-minute meeting or easily send a pop-up chat. And the pandemic has only made this informal back-and-forth more frequent as a greater number of employees stay remote. Newport says that this constant interruption is unnatural and leads to serious productivity issues. We're tasked with getting hard things done with our brain and at the same time put into an environment where we have to check an inbox once every six minutes. It's a torturous setup in which we're making our work impossible to do or impossible to do well. It leads to more burnout. It leads to more turnover. It pushes people out of the workflow. And this style of work also creates unexpected inequities because when all we do is check inboxes during the day, we have to try to find time in the morning and the evening to actually use our brain and get things done. But access to that time is not fairly distributed. I mean, if you have kids or not, it makes a difference. If you're taking care of a, an aged relative after work or not, it makes a difference. And so there's a lot of issues with saying, here's the way we're going to work. Just constantly be a part of all these digital chatter. Just constantly be a part of all this back and forth. It's causing way more trouble than I think we realize. So what's a possible solution? Many may argue that people need to have better digital etiquette or set stricter boundaries on when to check messages. However, Newport believes there needs to be a complete shift. He says small changes like turning off notifications or limiting chats doesn't address the root of the problem. Instead, more workplaces should emulate existing methods that have already been shown to help. Take the field of computer science, for instance, where many programmers worked from home long before the pandemic. One idea they will often deploy is something known as a shared task board. So there'll be a board, these used to be physical and now they're virtual, same idea, where all the things that need to be done for the current project are a card on this board in a column that represents its status. Like we're waiting to do this, this is currently being done, this has been done, we're waiting for someone to check it. It's very clear what has to be done and then who is working on what. They'll then have these daily, they're called standing status meetings. They're very short and they're highly structured. And everyone in the team looks at the same board. You go person by person, okay, what did you do yesterday? What are you working on today? What do you need from other people to make sure that you get that done? You go boom, boom, boom. Everyone in the group update that board and then people go and work. You could do the same thing by just being on Slack all day and, hey, I think I'm going to work on this now. What about this? Hey, can you help me with this? But you would have a fraction of the productivity because you'd have to constantly be context shifting. So it's an example of what it looks like once you say, let's get serious about thinking, how do we actually want to organize the work we do, figure out what needs to be done, who's working on it, and what information they need. When you structure that, you can significantly reduce the number of unscheduled back and forth messages you need to actually get these things done. Newport highlights another technique that customer service employees often use to systematically handle tasks while maintaining organization. You might be concerned of it's just better to be very accessible because being accessible and answering questions is what I do. But even in these type of industries, we often see there's a confusion between accessibility and clarity. We think what people need is constant access to us at all times, but really what they need is just clarity about if I have an issue, I know exactly how I'm going to get that resolved. We saw this with the IT industry about 15, 20 years ago when they shifted over to a ticketing model. They realized that just letting people call them or email them when they had an issue with their computers and their organization would quickly spiral out of control. So they built these ticketing systems where you get a, you get a ticket, we're working on it, you get automatic updates. 
but it allowed the IT professionals to just work on one thing at a time and let the system keep track of, you know, here's what's being done, here's its status, they can take a ticket, work on it, then update the ticket in the system. People were largely fine with that because they had clarity. Oh, here's the ticket, here's my number, I'm getting updates, I know this is being handled, so it's okay that I can't just pick up the phone necessarily and get one of the people on the line right away. So how can businesses without a clear communication structure in place get started? Newport recommends splitting your employees apart into teams based on workflow and allowing each group to set their own rules. Empower teams to figure out among themselves what rules they internally want to use. They should write them down. They should check in on them regularly because it's hard to get right at first. You have to experiment and they should have what I call safety valves. All right, if something goes wrong, we weren't expecting, we have a fallback. So like nothing too bad can happen. We all get on the phone, we have a number, whatever, so that no one is too stressed about it. Once a team has worked out how they want to collaborate internally, they can also work out their interface to other teams. So, okay, if you want to send us new requests for work we have to do, that's great, but here's how we do it. Put the description in this Dropbox and send us a note. We check the Dropbox twice a week, et cetera, right? So teams can figure out their own internal processes and then figure out how the outside world can actually interface with them. Communicating in a way that doesn't overload people is a tough problem to solve in a digitally driven world. But as more workers stay remote and messaging platforms expand, it's vital to put in place clear communication structures rather than relying on lengthy email threads and chats. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Cal Newport, head to viewpointsradio.org. You can check out his new book, A World Without Email, Reimagining Work in an Age of Communication Overload, online and in bookstores. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. Welcome to today's Book Minute brought to you by Booktrib.com, the leading source of book news and reviews. In today's segment, The Hunger Games meets Westworld. Unfettered Journey by Gary F. Benger is science fiction at its very best. In fact, the author has been likened to sci-fi icons Huxley and Asimov. In the story, an artificial intelligence scientist seeks to create true robot consciousness. He leaves everything behind to find answers, but a mysterious woman on a personal mission interrupts his search. Fighting unjust forces, they are swept into an evil plot that neither can elude. Their struggles test the resilience of the human spirit. Set in a richly imagined near future, this is a cross-genre novel, combining thrilling action, adventure, and a love story. It traces an epic journey from inside the human mind to the vastness of space. Released only last September in the U.S., by January, the book had already hit 10 Amazon bestseller lists. Be an early reader of Unfettered Journey, found wherever you buy your favorite books. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. A few years back, at the height of popularity for HBO's Game of Thrones, there were stories flying around Hollywood about other networks and streaming platforms vying to make the next Game of Thrones. Amazon paid huge bucks for the rights to make a Lord of the Rings show. Netflix launched The Witcher, and on and on. Disney took its own path 
namely mining their wide library of content for Disney Plus shows like The Mandalorian and WandaVision, which recently ended its nine-week run. And I must say, in my estimation, WandaVision did manage to be something of a microcosm of the Game of Thrones experience. They both had big-name stars, they were both wildly popular online, which led to memes and theories aplenty, and ultimately, they both disappointed in the end. Game of Thrones, at least, had several years of magic in its run, while WandaVision sort of fizzled out for me after just a few weeks. To begin with, WandaVision was a really cool concept. Set in the Marvel Universe, the first few episodes were a wild departure from typical superhero fare, modeling each episode after an era of American sitcom television. The episodes were entertaining, nostalgic, and had an impeding sense of dread as the marvelness of it all crept in in unexpected ways. It was really unlike anything I had seen, and I was hooked. But then the corporate management of it all kicked in. The show steered away from its ominous, enigmatic roots and became another Marvel engine. Everything was directly explained to the audience multiple times, spandex costumes started to become more and more common, and ultimately the series ended with several superheroes fighting in the sky with CGI energy balls. The show earned a lot of praise for its portrayal of grief, and it surely had its moments, but ultimately it left me feeling empty. WandaVision tried to be too many things. It was a story of trauma, but less effective than HBO's The Leftovers. It was a family sitcom, but it wasn't as funny as, say, Modern Family or Malcolm in the Middle. It was a superhero show, but its action sequences weren't as entertaining as a blockbuster movie. Ultimately, its true colors were revealed to be that it was just another piece of corporate IP. The artistic vision that flared in the early episodes was dulled down until it could simply bridge the gap to the next Marvel project, which, coincidentally, is now streaming on Disney+. I will not be surprised when The Falcon and the Winter Soldier similarly ends as an on-ramp to whatever comes after that. Networks and streamers all want to make the next smash hit, and in that, Disney Plus has succeeded. Unfortunately, I find its artfulness to be suspect at best, because it seems it's all done in the name of content creation instead of pure storytelling. WandaVision is now streaming on Disney+. It had its fun moments, but more importantly, it kept the train rolling. I'm Evan Rook. Better sleep means a better you. That's why Mattress Firm came up with the Rest Assured Promise, featuring the best mattresses from America's best mattress brands. Like the Temper Breeze Collection, available now, with a $300 instant gift good towards your choice of sleep accessories. Visit with our sleep experts in-store, online, or by phone to find the right bed for you. Only at Mattress Firm, America's number one Tempur-Pedic retailer. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com sale. A walk and some ice cream with someone sounds like the perfect treat. Making pizza with someone who's as into it as me? What could be better? Ready to meet people who love to do the same things you do? It's easy. One, open laptop. Two, go to OurTime.com. Three, start for free. 
Our Time is the number one dating site made for singles over 50. It's easy to use and can help you find people who just want to do something fun. Find someone over 50 who loves to do what you do on Our Time. Go to OurTime.com today and start for free. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTrax Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.